Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church. And at this time, our students and children can go to their learning environments. Uh, Welcome once again to our construction zone. Good news, we are making massive progress behind the veil. And thank you so much to our team of sheetrockers and mudders. We're making progress with our insurance company and claim. God is good. Uh, I've got to admit there's certain advantages to this. I don't have to do sermon slides. Um, certain disadvantages, our team up here does not have in-the-ear monitors, so I can't clap very loud. They told me so. Don't clap and sing too loud. We can't hear each other. So there's things like that, but um, God is good, and everyone's doing really well, being generous and appropriate. You can see we're making great progress. It's taking longer than we expected on the roadside project as well, but again, that's not why we're in business. It's just part of letting people know There's a good work going on up here, and we want to display the gospel in every way we can, including our aesthetics. So um, that's in process, and it's good, I tell you. And we'll see when uh, we can pull the veil down um, in the upcoming weeks and months. Um, I'm thinking a lot right now about the near Middle East and the war in Israel. Uh, You know, I don't need to tell you this, but they're perhaps the most precariously situated nation on the planet, hated by those to the north and the south and to their east. At least they got a little bit of Mediterranean Ocean on the west. Um, They've been in that tough spot ever since uh, the birth of the new nation. But the struggle goes back for hundreds, even thousands of years, all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac. And we just know that this is true. Um, Perhaps you, like me, as the news unfolded this week, perhaps your justice uh, instinct got triggered. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I actually went online to see what it would take to become a mercenary. I was that upset about what's going on there. Uh, But then I was reminded, and I want to remind us of this, the greatest victory is when Jews and Palestinians, when Israel and the West Bank bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and the two become one in the faith. And according to the scripture, Ephesians The dividing wall of hostility is destroyed. It has been destroyed, but when a man or a woman comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the dividing wall of hostility is destroyed in that man or woman. And so to imagine, we have Palestinian brothers and sisters, and we have Israeli brothers and sisters, and the greatest thing that we could do is seek a spiritual awakening and revival in the near Middle East. And so I wanted to take a moment. Together, join your hearts with me and let's pray for a revival and an awakening that only God can do in the midst of such crazy chaos and that Christians, Christians would shine the light. Yeah, sometimes we need to get involved militarily. Christians do. And that's not an illicit calling whatsoever. 
However, our greatest calling is as missionaries, ambassadors, and evangelists. So let's just pray right now. Father, we do ask that out of this chaos, this mess, this pain, this struggle, that the gospel would be proclaimed in clear and that you'd be drawing people on all sides of the conflict, all kinds of political underpinnings, all kinds of agendas, including terrorists, that they would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, we say come quickly, but before then, Lord, let there be a great harvest of souls. We, so we pray, we pray and, and, and align our hearts with first things first, and that is the salvation of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. If you agree with that, please say amen. Well, we're in the midst of a very disciplined study through the New Testament book of 1 John. It is something that I describe as discipleship material par excellence. And why is this so important? It is because the world in our context in which we live and attempt to follow Christ is changing rapidly, changing exponentially. And we must be a healthy, faithful, effective, disciple-making church, no matter how crazy and difficult and complex the world becomes. Why? Because healthy churches please Christ. Healthy churches reach people for Christ. Healthy churches grow the kingdom of God. Healthy churches transform communities but churches are only as healthy as their members. So healthy, growing, effective disciples make for healthy, growing, effective churches. And that is our year in review and going forward. We can only be as healthy as we are as a church, as we are as Christ followers. And so we're diving into these these lessons from 1 John, written by John, the son of Zebedee. Remember, he was called a son of thunder at one time, wanted to call down fire out of heaven to burn some people up as well. So I'm not as embarrassed about trying to imagine being a mercenary. Uh, John and his brother um, James were the sons of thunder. That was not a good name. But Jesus was transforming these guys into gospel-centered, gospel-loving followers of Jesus, not just fire out of heaven, Jewish people. And so it's written by John in his old age. He's the last of the remaining apostles, and he's been described over the years as the apostle of love. Now, don't get me wrong. He is not sentimental or sloppy. He just talks in a very convicted way of the absolute requirement that Christians be men and women of love, men and women of peace. And his agenda in 1 John is that all believers, his original readers or recipients, and ultimately us, would have fellowship life and joy, but we only have as much fellowship life and joy as we obey Christ. And walk in the light as he is in the light. And so we're framing the entire 16 weeks of 1 John as lessons in walking in the light. We're reading today from 1 John chapter 3, 
And you've seen some places it's printed 11 through 18, and I'm actually saying 10b. And that means the second part of verse 10, because verse 10 is a transitional verse that is summing up the last section, but also setting us up for the next section. So you see it printed on your notes, and this is what I am going, where I'm going to be starting from, what I am going to be reading. 1 John 3, verse 10b, all the way through 18. So it says this, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So right there, we see something about practicing righteousness demands and is synonymous with loving the brotherhood. He begins to unpack this. Verse 11, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. I want to just point out he is still speaking to genuine believers. He says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. They were Christians that had heard the Christian message from Jesus through the apostles. They had heard this message before because they're in the church. They are Christians. And what is the message? That we, the apostles... And the Christians, we have heard that we should love one another. And then he brings into the conversation two diametrically opposed, black and white, extreme polar opposites. Cain, who murdered his brother, the original human murderer and jesus instead of killing laid down his life instead to make us his brothers and unfortunately we have a choice between the two and i'm not saying that everyone here can be as bad as cain nor will anyone here be as perfect as Jesus. The reality is that this text is written to a bunch of Christians that fall somewhere in between the polar opposites. And if it was just an automated thing, you're a Christian, now you have a new nature and you are so loving. 
this would be unnecessary. Over half the New Testament would be unnecessary. We must be taught and reminded again and again and again to live in conformity with the new life in Christ that we've been granted by faith through grace. And so this is our lesson this morning, is that we need to be less like Cain and the world, more like Jesus and the new birth. Yes, I have a bottom line printed. I like this one better. So you can scribble that down. Less like Cain in the world, more like Jesus and the new birth. And we want to look this morning at the what, the why, and the how of Christian love, active love, practicing righteousness. Our formal bottom line, which kind of tells the whole story, is this, if you want to fill in the blank. Righteousness in action. Because that's what it's about, practicing righteousness. Righteousness in action is practical, sacrificial love for one another. You say that you're spiritual, you think of yourself as fairly spiritually mature or godly. It will show up in visible demonstrations of practical, sacrificial love for other Christians. Now, as we dig into this, I think it's really important to just name the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this. John talks a lot about loving the brothers. And we don't seem to see a whole lot of outreach and evangelism in 1 John. Um, in order to understand where he is going and why this is so important, we absolutely must embed this in the context of Jesus' final words, the Great Commission, to make disciples of all peoples. Instead of an us-versus-them, church-against-the-world kind of animosity, Quick, run, hide, build the walls higher. Everyone cocoon in the Christian barrio, the Christian ghetto. The Great Commission is still in play. And we must see this mandate in light of the broader context. We are here not just to grow old together and enjoy community together. Community is mission critical to reaching the world for Christ. And so the first fill in the blank under the bottom line, and to put the two together to understand where it fits is this. Love everyone. Love everyone. Especially fellow believers. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That is the brother and sisterhood in Christ. This does not negate love for the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus loved even his enemies. 
While the soldiers were gambling for his outer garment, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul would say in Romans that while we were yet sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. And he commands us to do the same. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not hate. So love everyone, reach everyone, share the gospel with everyone. Because Jesus died for everyone. Even Hamas and Hezbollah. Jesus paid the entrance fee into the kingdom of God with his blood for everyone. So love everyone, but especially fellow believers. This commandment is directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, John 15, 12. This is my commandment, the Lord Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you. The Apostle Paul would write about this and say it so eloquently in Galatians 6.10, so that as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So one does not negate the other. There's just a priority that if we cannot get it right here, don't export it out there or invite more people in. This is like the dysfunctional family that wants to adopt more and more children. And then the parents divorce. What are they thinking? It must work in the family. It is demonstrated in the family. And then more are invited in to the family. Paul, the same one who hated Christians, he was a Jewish terrorist against the faith. He hated the church. He hated Jesus of Nazareth. And he was attempting to squash it out when he met the Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And Saul becomes the apostle Paul. He says this in his letter to the church at Ephesus, talking about Christian love in the body of Christ. Talk about forbearing with one another. Talking about how important every single person, no matter how strong or weak, no matter how appropriate or inappropriate, no matter how lovely or ignoble, this is what he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That only happens when you're agitated, irritated, and set off by something someone says or does. I just don't like that person. Great, you get to apply the scripture here. Bearing with another, one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit if you're a part of the body that's part of you the other person is part of you if you're in the body and they're in the body not just the local church but the church universal they're a part of you and you're a part of them and both are a part of the body and bride of christ we had better learn 
to take care of the body, right? He goes on to say, just there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. That we should be inclusive. We should be forbearing. We should be loving. Isn't it true that sometimes you're agitated by individuals in the body? You say in theory, yeah, yeah, let's be loving. Add in inappropriateness and low EQ and traumatized, triggered, uh, dysregulated brothers and sisters. People that hit send way too soon on their emails, etc., etc. There's all kinds of them, and we're here right now. And we get to actually, actually obey the scripture. And can I just say, we need the weaker members. We need the so-called weaker parts of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 22, on the contrary. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So if we marginalized and kicked out and drove out those that drive us crazy, that come off inappropriate, that are emotionally dysregulated and inappropriate, we would be losing seriously indispensable parts of the body. I love what Jason Reimer Craig Craig says um, in an article about special needs or disability inclusive churches. He says the church must pay particular attention to the weakest, most vulnerable members of society and enter into risky solidarity with them. Not because it is the right thing to do, but because it is where Jesus chooses to reveal himself. Jesus' words, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of these, the least, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Jesus shows up in the weakest members, the struggling members, the inappropriate members. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, Life Together, the exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from everyday Christian life in community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. So I want to just let you know you're loved right where you're at and you are indispensable, even if at times you are aware of how inappropriate you are. You are loved and you matter to Jesus and because you matter to Jesus, you matter to us. And in many ways, Jesus comes along with you and through you to us. I want to let you know that if you are not a part of the body of Christ, because you have not yet placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are invited into this accepting community of love. And while love for the brothers is good and important, it is not the price tag of entrance. The price tag of entrance was paid for you with the blood of Jesus. And your job is to believe and receive. 
This is what Jesus said in John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. That's synonymous with becoming a child of God and being coming a part of the body, the community of love. Jesus goes on to say he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Today, are you putting that off? Are you wondering, did, did religious exercise and duty, am, am I good enough? No, you're not good enough. No amount of religious duty, no amount of brotherly love will ever get you into the family of God, but a simple believing and receiving in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You start there. And the word of God says, all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Don't try to love your way into the community of faith. Don't try to do good enough. And by the way, if you're bad, bad, very bad, yeah, you're covered as well. You just come as you are and receive the gift of eternal life by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why not right now? Call on him. Call on him in your heart. What are you waiting for? Judgment is in front of you. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved today. So if that's not how we get into the kingdom of God, that's something that we're to do after we come into the family of God, why is it so important? Why is it so important? Why such a premium on love? For the brothers and the sisters. And here's your second sub-point. Because the world is a hard and hateful place. Not the church. The world is a hard and hateful place. Before he tells his recipients what righteousness in action is. He begins by telling them what it isn't. By citing Cain and the world. 1 John 3, 12, he says, we should not be like Cain. He doesn't say we never will be tempted or struggle. He says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And then immediately into verse 13, these two are tied together. It's Cain is the seed form of the worldly hate. And he says in verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. That's where we live now. Not what we are a part of, but we live here. And the world is a hard and hateful place. Don't bring that into the church. Why was that so important back then? Why is it so important today? Let's just look at their context. John's original recipients were being persecuted. This is about 90 to 94 A.D., this is like the emperor, emperor Decian or Diocletian. These guys were just vicious against the church. People were losing their lives. Families were being uh, ripped apart. People murdered in the Colosseum. They were being like all out murdered. Many were just being socially ostracized. Put out of the community. Put out of the synagogues if they were Jewish. They were actually being denied entrance into, into uh, work guilds where they would be receiving their own portion of the work that would come in for a certain trade. 
So they were suffering financially, they were suffering physically, they were suffering emotionally. The world is a hard and hateful place. Paul would tell young Timothy, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And that never went away. It's not like the world got so much better in 2,000 years. You still want to burn hot for Jesus? You're going to pay the price. Because the world is a hard and hateful place. Jesus told us as much. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And if you look at the life of Jesus, it was the religious community, the Sanhedrin, made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, the high priest, the Sanhedrin. Same spiritual jealousy as Cain for Abel shows up in the Sanhedrin. We read about it from the scripture reading this morning. They couldn't stand his superior righteousness. They couldn't stand that he called them out. And so they conspired together things that they could not agree on. They were united on this. We must put to death Jesus of Nazareth. Just like Cain murdered his brother Abel. What's the message from 1 John do not be like Cain or the world. The church must be a no murder, no hate zone. That cannot come in here. It needs to be a safe haven for brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what? It should be the normal experience in the church. That's why he says, verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That should be normal. That should be the normal outcome of the new birth, of salvation, of new life in Christ, that we demonstrate it. We demonstrate it. There is to be an inner witness of the new nature because love has replaced hate and animosity. Should. Question, do you have genuine, compassionate Righteousness in action, love for your fellow Christians. Could someone see it? Feel it? Experience it? If not, listen to what John says. Whoever does not love abides in death. Key word, abides. You're living there again. You're going back to the old life. He goes on to say everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus would say that Hatred is murder in seed form. It's the same thing. Same thing. Same as a man looking lustfully upon a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. So is hate. And you know no murder has eternal life abiding in him. Key words, abide in abiding. And the idea here is that, that we who have been forgiven can go back to the sewage of the old life. Go back to the vomit of Cain, the devil, and the world. But a healthy church says, not in here you don't. Okay, you're welcome here. We are seemingly weaker at times, inappropriate. We're not perfect. We're not like Jesus yet. But the hate and the murder stays off the property. 
stays out of the community of faith, stays out of the household, stays away from the family dinner table. This is what we, we uh, this is a, a true story, and, and when I had already written this down, and stay, I was rehearsing some of my thoughts and ideas, and my wife said, ah, that's like what we tried to do. We didn't do it perfectly, though. Our kids going through school, and they went through public school up to high school. Tim went all the way through public school. And by the way, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily better at the Christian high school. You ever um, considered, like, junior high girls are mean. <laughs> They're mean. It was like the Christian Girl Scout group that was the meanest. And so when we saw our kids bickering and picking on each other and fighting at the family dinner table, say, listen, Roden household. This is the one safe place. This is like the shelter from the raging storm out there. Please don't bring in the hatred and animosity into the household. I know we get on each other's nerves. But this should be the one safe place. Because the world is hateful and hostile. Please, at the dinner table. In the household, let us love one another because this life is hard enough as it is. Do not bring the world's hatred and hostility into the church. Titus 3.3, think about this. This is the old life. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy Hated by others and hating one another. That's out there. So this is a call for kindness and forgiveness and reconciliation and goodness and gentleness and forbearance in the household of faith. Less like Cain and the world, more like Jesus and the new birth. Well, our third question here is how? How shall we go about this, quote, righteousness in action kind of love? And John would say this in 1 John three sixteen: By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. This is what love is. It's foregoing our own desires and needs for a time. Our own impulses our own appetites, giving away our rights, letting someone else go first, making sure that they have their needs met, laying down our life for one another. Jesus willingly gave down his life for us to pay the price tag of our redemption, and he was so completely willing he did not lose his life. He offered it. You say, I could never love like that. I could never be like that. Well, just so you know, that is the whole point of following Jesus, being a Christian, a little Christ, 
we follow in his footsteps. This is what he says. In 1 John 2, 6, we already studied this verse. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That is what we're doing here. That's why we gather, is to be reminded and equipped and learn and grow. We're here to be little Christs. It's what the word Christian means. To follow in his footsteps, to love like he loved, to live like he lived. And by the way, it is the essence of the new nature. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But here's the question, how often, since coming to faith in Christ, how often have you had the opportunity to be murdered for your faith so that fellow Christians could live? Probably haven't faced it yet. Maybe a couple. Maybe a couple. Maybe not. How often... I. Howard Marshall says this, the need of the world is not heroic acts of martyrdom, but for heroic acts of material sacrifice. So if you're not facing death so that another could live, how about generosity? How about giving of what you do have? This is what verses 17 and 18 Say, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. So instead of having to wait for a heroic moment in order to display love, the moment to show love is right now in tangible ways. With whatever we've been given, even if you are financially in serious trouble you have something to offer and this is our third fill in the blank everyone has something everyone has something to offer everyone and it's maximized in committed covenant community everyone has something to offer i'm citing my friend eric carter when he says, talking about um, our friends again with disabilities, I just really appreciated Rickson, I think, uh, called out here during worship. Was that Rickson? He, he made a, an ex I'm so happy Rickson is here. Did you hear it? It's very loud. He belongs here. Rickson has something to offer this community of faith. He is indispensable to this body. And he is included. Eric Carter says this, an inclusive congregation recognizes the gifts of everyone in their community, including those members with developmental disabilities, and they seek to discover and unlock the gifts and talents that each person possesses. In addition to asking what their congregation has to offer people with disabilities, they also strive to discover all that people with disabilities have to offer them. And so if, if Rickson, if Timmy, if, if Jake... They have something so wonderful to offer this church. And there you are going, I don't have anything. I'm here to receive. No, you have something that this body needs. You have something to offer and you are indispensable here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, 
He says, in a Christian community, everything depends on whether each individual is in, an indispensable link in a chain. Only when the smallest link in the ch- in, is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. Every believer has something to offer. Not just financial or material. Those are not the only needs that need to be met. Some of you are struggling financially, but you're a great listener. But unless you can get out of your own pain and your own neediness, you're not going to ask good questions and listen to others and bear their burdens. But you can, for this is love. Laying down your life for someone else. I don't have anything to give. Nonsense. You have so much to give. And we need to discover what that is. And instead of showing up to receive and take and to be blessed, to experience a service where people are serving you, you show up and say, Lord, how can I offer what I have today? Who can I touch? Who can I bless? Some of you have great financial resources. Go for it. You know what? Even beyond the offering in our budgets, guess what? We have needs in the body. You got an overabundance and you've already done your giving to the church? Come ask me or a member of the staff or the, or the elders. Say, hey, are there any needs in the body? Why? Because I got a heart to help more than what I've already done. And we'll say, absolutely. And we'll show you the list. Everyone has something to offer. But here's the deal. It's maximized. It's maximized in committed covenant community look once again at verse 17 if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and here's the deal i can only meet a brother's need if i'm close enough long enough to see it that's so important i I need to read it again I, i can only meet my brother's need if i'm close enough long enough to see it And that is why the writer of Hebrews said, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Everyone has something to offer. Maximized and committed covenant community. This is righteousness in action. Love. Practical, sacrificial love for one another. Less like Cain in the world and more like Jesus and the new birth. And back to the original thought of the Great Commission. This is the litmus test of genuine faith. And this is a primary strategy for evangelism. Love for the brotherhood. Jesus said, John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I was in uh, Cairo, Egypt, in the slums in 1991 in a slum called El Dalar Blatmar, means the Red Way. And in that slum, for five weeks, living in uh, on a third floor of a building that probably isn't standing today because it was seriously, um, you know, diminished and dangerous. But we were served by a Sudanese Muslim man named Abu Bakr. 
Abu Bakr served us with kindness at the request of the hotel manager. At the end of our time there, we presented Abu Bakr with uh, a New Testament in Arabic. It's called the Injil, the New Testament. And we, so we got to, to be around Abu Bakr for about four weeks, presented him with the Christian New Testament. And when he received it, he kissed it, put it to his head, kissed it again, and then he said these words in very broken English. He says, Muslims kill each other. He was a Muslim. Ah, but Christians they love. Christians they love. This was the witness and testimony of Christians in a Sudanese Muslim's heart. Christians love. How about a challenge? Holidays are coming up. What if no single individual person, widow, divorced, disconnected from family units, what if not a single one of them missed out on Thanksgiving with a family or Christmas with a family? What if instead of thought and idea, what if it was word in action? I want you to take that question home to your families, your spouses, whoever. Say, who could we adopt? Who could we make sure knows that they are genuinely loved and appreciated here in this church as we approach these holidays? How about it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your powerful example and witness to us greater love has no man except this that he laid down his life for his friend jesus you died for us you gave us your life lord very few of us are going to get to die for someone else um, physically but lord to sacrificially offer what we have to think of others as more important than self lord please let this be a congregation less like cain in the world more like jesus christ and the new nature. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.